everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you've never failed, you've never been through foreclosure, you've never been sued, you've never lost property, you've never gone through a heavy recession, you have been punched in the face. Love you, mean it, but I don't trust you, right? Yeah. So we, as a limited partner, you need to look for the, the experience that this individual has, not a short-term resume. If all they have done is seen the market going up and up and up and they've made money every time, that's great. I'm not hating, but at the same time, hold on. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you wanna become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're gonna learn a ton. You will learn from real life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're gonna share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. We are super excited today. Mr. Bill Ham joining us on our show. Bill, if you don't know him, he is one of those multifamily and creative financing uh, experts, coaches, and individuals that's just an investor that's crushing it in his space. He's been a multifamily owner operator for about 15 years. He wrote uh, one of the, uh, you know, just a really phenomenal book. I'm excited to check it out, which is Creative Cash. And he closed his first 402 multifamily units, 402 units or doors. Just think, you know, real estate, 402 doors with creative financing. So it's, it's pretty cool to hear this. And now he does syndications. He's in, you know, working with general partner, limited partner, equity splits. He helps a ton of people learn more about the space. And he's just got one of those just genuine guys, you know, kind of thing. We're talking in our pre, uh, pre-interview pre about what he's done. And he's real nonchalant. Uh, you know, like 40 million. We sold 40 million here. We sold I go, man, dude, it's just a business to him. And I go, I'm, my, my mind's blown for a few minutes. And uh, anyways, Bill. Thank you for joining. My hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Yeah. So let me turn it over to you for a minute here. In your own words, please tell us who you are and what you do so we can start a great conversation. I, I think you did it better than I could probably do myself. Yeah, that was an excellent intro. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, Bill Ham. I have been in the business. Uh, this this summer will be 16 years almost now. So uh, it was a pilot by trade, flying airplanes, kind of came out of school realized that uh, I didn't like being told when and where to fly airplanes. I love flying airplanes. I just didn't like being told <laughs> to fly airplanes and when to fly airplanes. So I uh, kind of got tired of that and watched friends of mine doing real estate. This is back in 04-ish, 2004. And I saw friends of mine you know, flipping houses, doing real estate. And, and they would, I'd get up and go to work and, and they would go up and, and flip a house and in one or two deals, they'd make everything I made in an entire year of working. And I thought, wait a minute now, we were all at the bar last night. We were all doing the same thing last night. And I went to work and you went to business. And so that really kind of got in my head. And I started thinking about that because I thought, well, my friends are pretty much idiots. 
you know, and so if they can do it, I can do it, you know, it's like, wait a minute. So that was kind of my aha moment of they're normal and I'm normal. Why don't I just give this a shot? Yeah, give it a try. Same. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I did. And I quit the job and uh, $10,000 saved up. Um, duplex, my first deal, $300 cash flow. And I went straight into real estate and flipped houses, got that going for a while, and then still started uh, holding houses and then building a multifamily portfolio. And then I've been over uh, over a thousand units now, um, built a management company and, and so forth. But yeah, that's sort of the, the arc of the, the narrative there and, and how I got here. So you're an o- overnight success, a thousand, a thousand <laughs> yes. doors, 16 over 16 years, years worth of nights, uh, over 16 <laughs> years worth of nights success. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. So well, let me, you know, kind of recap just even this. So you've been invested in one shape, form or another in over a thousand doors, Correct. right? And, and I've been involved in a lot more than that, but yeah, as ownership and in, in some percentage of ownership. Yes. Correct. Okay. And just, even give us an idea, try to quantify this if you could, whether it's uh, out of your possession because you've sold it or you have it now, how many hundreds of millions of dollars is that? Would you oh, guess? Oh gosh, from day one, the entire oh. day? I don't know. It's <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Uh, 50 million, 60 million, 50 million, somewhere around that range or so. Now, okay. you, you know, that, yeah, that's they not- were less expensive when you first started too. Well, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll we can dive into a bunch of this stuff because right. you know just because you hear somebody that says uh, you know hundreds of millions or fifty million dollars, right. the bank still owns seventy five percent of the of the loan. Right. However, you can quickly do the math and say, man, that's a lot of holdings. On the flip side, if the bank owns seventy five, then our equity is twenty five percent of this portfolio. It's millions of dollars and millions impact. Absolutely. But sometimes I just like to give people the idea because what you said was. Man, your everyday average friends, uh, you know, hanging out at the bar, we're going out and they did it. And you go like, hey, I'm no different. And that's the truth is we're we're no different. If if one person can do it, so can you. Right. Absolutely. And there's nothing special about me and there's nothing special about them other than they were willing to take action when I wasn't. And that was the, the aha moment. You know, and it's like I always tell people uh, and I, I teach a lot of real estate and, and, I, and I help a lot of students and I always tell everybody. There's only one deal you've got to close that's ever going to make any difference. And I said, you know what deal it is? And everyone says, oh, it's the first deal. You got to close the first deal. No, 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 no. It's the six inches between your ears. That's the only real estate that is ever going to matter is that bit of real estate right there. And it's also the toughest deal you'll ever close. Man, you know, just a great mindset. That is 100% spot on. That's the toughest deal you're ever going to close. So, you know, let's let's talk about this because we know you've done, you know, millions of dollars of deals, thousand doors in it. Now you help others do the same. Were you born, you know, business entrepreneur kind of uh, titan or how, how did you how did you become, you know, what, where you're at and what, where'd you grow up and what'd you do and what were your I family like born- and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I come from from a family of physicians, actually. So I think this apple rolled pretty far from that tree. But uh, no, I, I think that I was born with sort of the entrepreneurial bug, at least at least some. And, and maybe even entrepreneurial isn't the right word, more of like the hustle bug. You know, I just yeah. always kind of had that feeling of, of business, of trying to do some kind of transaction, some kind of thing. My, my first business model is it was when I was about 12 years old. Um, I was in Savannah, Georgia, and I had a, a one-hour bus ride 
uh, to and from the, the fourth grade. And so I was one of the very first kids on the bus and nice. one of the very last kids off the bus, right? On there for a whole hour. So what I started doing was bringing my toys to, to uh, school in my backpack and I would rent them out to the little kids on the bus, mostly on the ride home, right? So I'm the last person off the bus. I always got to collect all my toys. And what I noticed is all the little kids uh, had loose change left over from lunch. And that was back when lunch would be 64 cents, something like that. You had these spare coins left over. And so I would uh, rent out my G.I. Joe figure, my He-Man figure, this kind of nonsense on the bus um, to all the little boys on the way home. And, and that was how I made uh, video game money and spending money as a kid. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm missing half the demographic. There's all these little girls. They don't play with G.I. Joe figures. Oh, my gosh. They buy stuff. See, the boys wanted to rent stuff. The girls wanted to own it. So then I figured that out, and I started actually learning to reinvest, and I would take some of the money and then go buy things that the girls wanted, like stickers and other things of that nature. And so I would sell to the little girls and rent to the little boys on the way home. And I'm sure there were a lot of parents out there that probably got really irritated with me, uh, you know, influencing their children at a young age. But, uh, yeah, that was my very first hustle. So, yeah, I got started early. What, what a cool story. There's so many real estate investors, entrepreneurs that have some story of when they were younger and they did this when they were 10, 11, 12. It's the same with me, man. It was, it was the same. And I just, I love hearing the different ones. And, uh, I, and I realized later, I go, oh, you didn't, you didn't do that when you were like in elementary, you didn't yeah, sell you stuff. You didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's, it's, uh, I guess just a different, uh, a few select. Well, I, I've got a good one. I traded a video game for, uh, it was a Babe Ruth baseball card, early Babe Ruth baseball card for some little kid when I was young. His father showed up at our door, <laughs> wanted to talk to my dad. That was a little too good of a trade. That was a yeah, sorry, man. Sorry. And of course, you know, my dad was like, all right, give him back the baseball card. He closed the door and goes, good job. <laughs> <laughs> you put that deal together. Nice work, man. Know the value of your what you got, right? Know the value. Yeah. And the hustle and the grind. So the the hustle part of it. You know, you learned early, rent something out and you buy it once and you have money come back in. And then it sounds like you reinvested in your own model, even at that young age, took it, reinvest it to make the cycle grow and, and, and bigger. And so that's awesome. And then did you go to you know school, college, degree, I that did. kind of thing? Uh, and- I wound up going to, um, it, it's changed names. It was called Macon State College at the time. Yeah. I think it's Middle Georgia College, something like that yeah. now in uh, Macon, Georgia. And it, I, I was on the fast track program and graduated a little over seven, uh, seven years. Uh, so seven I was, years ago, I was, a, four years I was a seven. <laughs> I was seven also, man. I was a terrible student. Awful yeah, so student. me too. Yeah, me too. no good. You know, the funny thing is, is it's, it's kind of an attitude thing. When I was told to sit still and study and do my homework, I wouldn't do it. But all I do now is study and read and, and educate myself and teach. You know, So it's a maturity thing, I guess. And at the same time, for me, it was if, if you left me alone, I would do it. If you told me to do it, that's the last thing I was ever going to do. Yeah. You know, and so you, I was just one of those kids. You just couldn't tell them to do something because that's exactly what I'm going to go do. You know? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, it was also cool. I bet you subject matter. They weren't yeah. quite teaching you how to make a hundred thousand dollars on your next deal, and so I think you would have paid attention a little bit differently. Probably had, would had that class been when we were younger. So, anyways, this is all good, you know, insight because I think more people can relate with just you. And now I want to fast forward a bit. Sure. Tell us about your business model today. So I hear a thousand doors and most people go, man, how, how does one person do that? 
And that's the truth of it is one person does not do this. So let's, you know, give, give some insight to everyone listening. You know, what does your business look like today and and how does it run and that kind of thing? Real estate is a team sport. If if you want to go anywhere quickly in this business or you want to go anywhere large, it's a team sport. It's very, very difficult business to accomplish with no partners and no investors and without using other people's money. You know, and I I think that's probably one of our largest limiting beliefs, or at least it is when I talk to new people, they say, Oh, I don't, I don't want partners. I don't want, I, you know, I want to do this all by myself. Yeah. Well, you're going to, you're going to stay very small and you're going to grow very small, you know, and it's, you, you can do it. It's not wrong. It's just, you're going to be at that for many, many, many years to create value for yourself, you know, or you can accelerate your business model by going ahead and, and leveraging other people's time, money, and energy. And so that's what we do today is I have general partners. You know, we have limited partners and general partners. The GPs being the group that comes together, brings the net worth, the skills and the experience in order to qualify for the mortgage. So I go out, I identify an asset. I say, okay, that's a good deal. And this team, myself and my my partners will go and get the mortgage. We'll put this deal together. And then we bring on limited partners or LPs for our down payment money or the majority of our down payment money. We obviously always invest in our own deals. But um, yeah, we're syndicating real estate. And, and I am now a basically a professional real estate syndicator. Um, it's what I do for a living. You know, and, and t- times it's easier, times it's tougher. It depends on the market cycle right now. A little bit tougher. Uh, you know, we know it's harder to find those deals right now, business. Right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, but that's, that's what I do now. And, and personally, I started off in, in pretty tough neighborhood, uh, pretty, pretty rundown assets, pretty high crime areas. And I have been kind of uh, moving up the food chain since. And so now our collective business model is to stay in sort of newer properties, sort of 1990s or newer uh, multifamily assets in more core locations. Uh, so that's that's kind of our direct model now. Got it. All right. So there's there's a few things here for those passive investors, or if you're watching this in one of our groups and you are a single family investor and you're you don't know what GP LP or syndication means, Bill just basically laid out a, a, a model that we can all use. Uh, to buy something bigger than what we would have been able to buy on our own. And that's to identify the right asset. You find it. Then you have a team that can actually qualify for the lending or for the mortgage for the bank to give us 75% of the amount needed. If it's a $10 million deal, for example, the bank's going to give us $7.5 million in most cases, try to go to any bank for any other business model other than real estate and get $7.5 $7.5 million loan to get your business started. Probably not going to happen. But, and then he's like, well, I don't have the $2.5 million cash. That's what you need. Like if you're a single family investor, if it was a hundred thousand dollar deal, they may give you 75. Well, you still need to have this 25 K down payment or get creative, which maybe I'll we'll ask Bill how he did that also. But ultimately the creative side for syndicators or syndication, or for you as a passive investor, your equity, your call it a 50K investment and 25, 30, 40 other people that can all put 50K in, that's the 2.5 million. And we're all doing this deal together and we all get to benefit from it. And, you know, Bill takes us some sweat equity, just like in a single family house where you may be, you know, uh, painting or laying tile, except this is a more professional way to get some sweat equity and you're analyzing a deal, you're playing in a different model and you're you're helping a bunch of investors. So, 
Bill, thanks for, for laying that out, right? Absolutely. So, so as you do these syndications, you know, tell us, you know, w- what do you think the biggest obstacles or the biggest hurdles most people, you know, see maybe as a one, we'll take it two parts. Biggest obstacles as a passive investor getting started and as a, a new general partner trying to do deals like this on their own. All right. Yeah. So I'll start with the GPs and the general partners. I think if you're looking to get into creating syndications, one of the biggest hurdles you're going to have up front is creating value. That's the biggest. You must create value. It's as simple as that. And it's one of the biggest mistakes that I see new people or new students that are trying to get into creating a syndication kind of overlook. They, they, they say, well, I want legacy wealth. I want to create something for myself and my family and, and all this kind of stuff. And that's fine. But then they kind of look at these investors as almost sort of a, a necessary evil. I guess we'll let these people make some money. I guess we'll let them invest. And, you know, OK, stop, stop, stop. You must have a customer service mindset. Mm-hmm. You must serve the investor first. You must serve your partners first. Serve yourself second. That's how you play the long game. And that's how you create real wealth and real legacy wealth over time. And so many people just come into this thinking, what's in it for me? And, and that's the, the immediate stop to you creating value for somebody else. And the second you stop creating value for somebody else, you failed. So that's going to be your biggest obstacle is bringing value to others and being willing to exchange that value. Uh, I know that's a generalized concept, but always be thinking about the other side first. Yours will come. That's a great, it's a great concept. Before you move to the passive investors on, on the general side, it's if you can create value at regardless of what industry or what role or what job or what business you're going to start, if you're creating more value, that's where capital, wealth, income will absolutely flow. If you're thinking about it, how can I serve? Because the more people you, you are, the more value you create, the more people that will want to be served right. with this tremendous, overwhelming value there. It's not a, Hey, I'm trying to raise capital. It's like, oh, I'm trying to fight it off. Cause there's too much. If you, cre- if you create value, I mean, is yeah, that right? I, I see the, the, the first place people go wrong with that concept is the ones that jump up and immediately start talking about legacy wealth and wealth for their family and long-term wealth. They're the ones that'll make the mistake. The first, my opinion on this, and I'll kind of take a sidebar at the moment. Sure. Legacy wealth is is held in skills, not in real estate. Legacy wealth is held in information, not in business. You got to create something that is passed on to the to the next generation, not just money. And if that's all you're trying to do is create money because you don't want somebody else to have to work or have to go through something, you're not going to make it. And and that's the first group of people that will think of themselves first. And then kind of think of the, the limited partner or the investor second. It's because they're trying to create something for themselves and they're ignoring others. Legacy wealth is not held in one particular property. And this is a question I get asked all the time. Why would you ever sell apartments? Don't you just buy them and hold on to them forever and ever and ever and ever and cash flow forever? Yeah, yeah try, try that. Next time you go out to an investor and the investor says, hey, when do I get my money back? You say, oh, whenever my grandkids get around to selling the property. And, and see who wants to invest with you. You see my point? That's you cannot go in there thinking that, that you're going to use other people's money, other people's resources to serve yourself first. Legacy wealth is great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying it's something that comes over time. And what you'll find is at the end, 
The legacy that you set up is, is no particular asset. It's not this building or that building or these apartments. It's the, the skills, the information, the education, and the business that you leave somebody, not the assets. Yeah. So that's, that's a major departure from what I think a lot of people think about wealth. And it's a mistake that most people make. So that's yeah. kind of one thing I want to throw in there. Now, before you go to the LP, yeah, okay. on this part of this legacy wealth, what I what I wrote down were skills, education, information, education. If you put yourself in this perspective as a parent and you have your little ones, whether they're three-year-old and one-year-old like mine, or your children are already 16 or 18 or 20, they're, they're, gro- they're like past this child age. If you can project yourself in a moment so when you were young and you're saying, hey, man, what would I tell myself knowing what I know now? And if you can figure out a way to convey this, uh, the, that information, skills, education, information, even if you left your children no money, I know I guarantee that they would be in a much better situation than you are. So any parents listening, like this is the moment you need to just, you know, hug your children for a moment, whatever age they are, and just try to figure out how do I get them this information? Because it'll do way better than any million dollar you bestow upon. Because if you did leave them a million without education, it's it's it, it, they won't keep it for very long if they don't know how to manage it or or, or regenerate more of it. Go look up the statistics. They say seventy percent of all wealth is lost in the second generation and ninety percent by the third. So this concept of legacy wealth, and that's go look that and make that oh, one wow. up. Go look that yeah. up. This concept of legacy wealth is also a bit of a skewed problem is because you're giving something to someone that never earned it. And, and that that's not good. You know, and so if you look, 70 percent of the wealth is, is lost in the next generation. Right. Because you handed them money, not skills. Yeah. Money, you, handed skills. Them, you know, real estate and not the understanding of how the real estate was created in the first place. Yeah. That's the mistake. Yeah. This is awesome. Thanks a lot, Bill. This is a great conversation already, brother. Hello, hello. You're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you're serious about achieving financial freedom. Are you ready to create your own path through multifamily investing for yourself and your family? Then I know you're going to appreciate our investor's guide to multifamily investing. It's titled Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. We use this guide to invest ourselves in $93 million worth of real estate. So we're gonna show you the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications and how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So the best part, if you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating, I'm gonna give you a free copy of our ebook. So please take a moment to do that now. Once you've done that, go to 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Make sure to let us know you left a review and we're going to send you a free copy. So thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast. We really appreciate it. Okay, so now uh, advice or insight, uh, well, biggest obstacles we were talking about yeah, right, and right. helping no passive investors come in. Yeah, somebody with some cash and they go, hey, I like everything you're saying, but I'm a professional. I'm an entrepreneur myself. I have my own things going. I, I can't find a deal, put one together, bring capital, raise capital from investors. That's way too much. I just want to invest 50, 100, quarter million dollars. How, you know, and, and th- there's a lot of people that are like that just with the obstacles. Give them some advice to help them 
character of this. Find find somebody that has failed miserably and survived it. Yeah. And back that individual. Wow. What a straight into the point one. Man, so please elaborate on this. This is yeah. that this he's, is gonna be a you know, good it's one. just like the old Mike Tyson comment. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you've never failed, you've never been through foreclosure, you've never been sued, you've never lost property, you've never gone through a heavy recession, you have been punched in the face. Love you, mean it, but I don't trust you. Right. So we as a limited partner, you need to look for the, the experience that this individual has, not a short term resume. If all they have done is seen the market going up and up and up and they've made money every time. That's great. I'm not hating. But at the same time, hold on. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And the problem is most people that have not gone through a negative adverse scenario don't know how to see one coming. And they keep doing the same thing that they've always done until the market slaps that out of their hands. And then they wake up one day and go, what happened? Look, you cannot build the ark once it's raining, right? You, 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 can't, you can't build your house out of sticks when the wolf's in the driveway. It's like, I mean, out of, out of bricks when the wolf's in the driveway. That's not how this works. You, know, you got to learn market cycles. You got to learn how to project forward. You have to understand uh, what pain points and what things can come up. And so that's what I find with people that are newer, younger to, to real estate and it's it's not anything that they can really control, so to speak. So I'm not trying to say if someone's inexperienced, you know, don't have anything to do with them. I'm just saying be very careful. The problem is I see a lot of people invest in someone else's tuition. Mm-hmm. Don't make your investment someone else's tuition. Don't send someone to, to real estate school on your investment dollar. You know, if this is if this is early on for them and, you know, and they're bragging and man, we've made all this money and we're awesome. And look at all the success. Hot, hot, hot. Run, run, run. <laughs> I love it. And you see, you've seen a few things in your 16 years, my friend. I, I, I take financial advice from two kinds of people. Somebody who's made more money than I have, somebody that's lost more money than I have. Man, I only invest with two kinds of people. Somebody who's made more money than I have, somebody who's lost more money than I have. There's a lot awesome. to be said for failure. And there's a lot to be said for, for someone who will be open and discuss those failures. Failure, in my opinion, is probably the largest portion of your resume and the most valuable aspect of your resume. If you hadn't failed, then you you don't know how or who you are as a character. You don't know how you're going to react. You don't know how. You don't know. You know. You can think you know, but until they start shooting at you, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's all fun and games, right? This is a yeah. This is a great conversation. Let's you know if I can take us another step past this too. What do you think someone can do to compress this? cycle of, of, of education, of learning, because experience will teach you everything you need to know, but we're not going to live till eternity. And I want to do this now. Right. Right. So I still need the wisdom. I still need the education, but man, I'm trying not to let experience shape, you know, you know, or take 50 years to get there. Right. So how does, how does one compress this knowledge of, uh, you know, obtaining this knowledge so we can we can sail across bigger seas and go do bigger things. Yeah, uh, lots of different ways. And, and so I think we are asking a, a different question. And I think we are asking a question that's most often asked. And I see it in a lot of forums and a lot of stuff in social media and in the world today. Should I pay for an education? You know, oh, yeah. that, that's, I think, the question we're really asking here, isn't it? And I hear this all the time. Well, should I sign up for a coach? Should I sign up for this program or you know, maybe I should get this book or should I, you know, maybe I should just go over to this forum over here where there's all these uh, you know, posts and I'll just read all the posts and do I need to pay for an education? All right, hold on. 
you're going to pay. You're going to get an education. You're going to pay for it. <laughs> you're going to get an education and you're going to pay for an education. Mm-hmm. You're asking the wrong question. The question is, where do I get my education and what am I willing to pay for it? Look, you can run right out on the street and, and run the gauntlet of business and real estate and get out there and take action, swing for the fence, make some mistakes. That's how I did it. That is one expensive education. Let me tell you, it's painful. It's rough. And the mistakes you make can cost you far more than what you might ever pay for a coach or a mentor or someone like that. So I think we're asking the wrong question. It's not, should we pay for an education? Oh, no, you're going to pay. It's where do you want to pay? And I say the, the answer here is, is find people that are willing to teach you or capable of teaching you and create value for that individual. Um, it may be that you need to pay them. It may be that you need to sign up for a program. Do your homework. Not all teachers are real and not all teachers out here are experienced. There are a lot of scammers in the information world. I'm pointing a lot of fingers at a lot of people, not you, but I mean a lot, you know what I mean? So it's like, look, yeah, there's yeah. A, lot, a lot of people out there that do not need to be teaching business. Yeah. They've gone close one deal, they read the book, and all of a sudden they're out there, you know, selling courses. And it's like be very, very careful. So do your homework on, on any mentor or any teacher that you want to follow before you start spending money. Yeah. But I'm telling you, that's going to be a lot, lot cheaper route than just trial and error out on the street. But both will teach you. Yeah. What a great, it, this is a good nugget too, because I, I talk about this on my show. I know I've said it at least handful of times, but just to say it again, if you haven't heard this about me. So I, uh, if you're listening, what Bill mentioned was what I, I set out to do. I said, hey, I, I don't want to take 30 years to figure this thing out. I need to figure out now. I'm already 41. Uh, I did single family for 10 years, one deal at a time, no partners, saved my money, my wife and myself. And we bought, we saved every few years. We have another 30, 40 grand and we go buy another house. We got up to eight properties, Bill. And I looked back and, and the first time I, someone said, hey, uh, have you figured out your net worth yet? Your assets minus your liabilities, including your credit cards, any debt, your car, everything. And I wasn't a millionaire. I was, uh, I had, uh, hadn't created my first one. In fact, my, you know, our, our net worth was like a quarter, 250 ish K. And that's because I had a professional job in it that I was working for, for 13 years up until that point. And essentially I was making, you know, 200 K on W two income. And I go, how did this money slip through my fingers? It just went, it, it went pretty quickly. But then I, the moment I said, well, how are other people doing it? And someone showed me, hey, this is the way I've created it. It was like a blueprint and a map that I had never seen before. And it started with my sister taking me to a free course that she signed up for on the weekend. I just happened to be the free guest. I'm thankful to God that she signed up for it. And then at the end on Sunday, I'm like dropping a $20,000 check to pay for education and I, and then I ended up joining like five other programs and paying for mentors, paying for coaches. I still have a one-on-one coach today. And when you said one of the, the people that you'll pay for education is the person that's lost the most, I don't think he'll mind me saying it because he says this often, but I, I, I have a coach, Marcus Ogden, who's a former NFL football, <clears throat> NFL football player. He started construction business and lost, he created millions and lost millions. Good and team. I go, dude, you're the, yeah, I need to meet with you. I'll hire you as my coach, like my professional coach. I'll hire somebody else to teach me, you know, about real estate and all this stuff also. But, and he knows a little bit of both worlds, 
anyways, all of the mentors and coaches, another one, my partner that I've done deals with, that I've partnered on multiple deals. When you said he's way more money than I did, I'm like, you're the guy I need to learn from. And it has dramatically reduced the amount of time it's taken me to now put together. We've done seven multifamily syndications. We we're in the middle of raising capital for fund number one, and we're on fund number two. And it's all because I signed up for education, coaching, mentorship, training. And, you know, I tell people it's, it's not like which, you know, if you should do it, I'm like, man, which one should you do first is kind of how I actually think about it. Every time I sign up for one, I've met new people, new network, uh, new opportunities, new partnership, new investors. Man, that's so that's my viewpoint on the whole thing. Absolutely. Just get started. Just go, right? Do Just it. Go. Like Which, I say, when was the best time to invest in real estate? Five years ago. Second yeah. best time? Today. <laughs> Just, <do laughs> Just get it on, man. Okay. Well, this is that's tremendous. And LPs, I mean, limited partner yeah, LPs, investors. Yeah, like I said, you guys are the same. You got to learn, you, you know, put your money in. You have to learn how to do this as well, as at least at least at the high level. Yeah. So LP, I, I think the biggest obstacle there is going to be understanding the underwriting being presented to you by a syndicator. And that is, I strongly recommend all LPs out there listening, learn at least at a high level, how to underwrite a multifamily deal there. You can take a quick class on it. I mean, there's videos, anything, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but learn the basics to underwriting a multifamily deal. And the reason is, is because we've got to then decide when you are being presented a deal that has a high or low probability of success. You know, it's kind of like I, I see a lot of what I call pencil whipping. Now, I'm from Georgia and I'm, I'm kind of redneck. So that's what I call pencil whipping. Pencil whipping. You make a deal real good on paper. You know, it, it, well, that's easy, right? Pencil whipping a deal is easy. Can you actually go out into the world and make that deal work oh, yeah. in reality? Yeah, so, I like that saying. It's yes, so valuable. That's, that's, uh, the spreadsheet says it's supposed to happen. Oh, shoot. How do I do that in real life, right? Exactly. You know, and so I see more and more overpriced justification in underwriting. All right. So what I'm saying is I'm seeing more and more people as the market is heating up and the market is getting more competitive. People are are justifying overpaying for real estate with a pencil, and they're saying, "Oh, well, yes, it's a it's a very low cap rate property, and no, it doesn't cash flow much right now, but that's okay because I can just raise the rent and I can just do these numbers, and then poof, it's a good deal." Sometimes that is accurate, but a lot of times it's not accurate. And so, as the limited partner, that's where you have to have the ability to do your own underwriting to vet the person bringing you the deal to make sure that they are not pencil whipping a deal and, and going back to creating value for themselves on, on the shoulders of your money, you know, that's tuition. Again, send them to school. Don't, don't invest for that, you know? So <clears throat> that's kind of my point is I think LPs really are, are at the moment woefully uh, educated on how to underwrite a deal themselves. And therefore uh, it makes their investment infinitely more risky than they realize and, uh, and I think that there's going to be some money lost going forward in some syndicated deals that I have seen to be way aggressive. Mm -hmm. and, and when I mean aggressive, it's not to say it's impossible that the deal works out. I'm saying it is improbable that the deal works out. What you got to look for is this sort of daisy chain of, of switches that all have to occur for the deal to work. We have to raise the rents. We have to refinance in 18 months. We have to do the renovations. We have to do this. We have to do this. We have to do this. But if all these things occur, then it's a good deal. Yeah, because real, okay, that's real a lot life, of variables. You're going to miss one right or two of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Sorry, go ahead. 
But if an LP doesn't know any better, the LP doesn't know any better. Mm-hmm. That's the definition of dumb money. Yep. They're uh, in, in an underwriting for those that, that are listening, limited partner, passive investors, or somebody that's thinking about getting into syndication for the first time, putting your money over. There's an Excel or a, a series of Excels or different programs or tools. And if you've never looked at it, just go Google multifamily underwriting. You can YouTube it. You can see a bunch of people walking through. There are multiple different tools. I think Jake and Gino, you guys uh, have one of those tools. You can pay a few hundred bucks, get it. It's worth it. It's in your investment. And then there's usually, you know, maybe a video series where you can also go through this, teach you how to underwrite, but you'll see this Excel with like 150 lines. And then there's, you realize, oh, this is not the whole Excel. That's like one tab. There's like six or seven or eight tabs that all have a hundred and something lines. And you're trying to feed this information, which is the company financials into the analysis. And what Bill is, you know, basically going through is those assumptions that we create are rent growth. How much is it going to increase in in rent naturally? Then there's the value add growth, right? If I put some money into my interior units and make them nice, new floor, new countertops, paint, how much more can I get from the the from the apartment unit? And then you've got, you know, the financing which is I think I can get this percentage interest rate and I'm hoping the 10-year treasury doesn't increase in the next 60 days before I close this deal. And then you're thinking about loan to value and your specific market. And then you're thinking about, uh, okay, well, I've also have uh, an exit cap and an entry cap and my operating expenses and all these different components. And if you don't know what those are, that's a great time. If you're not looking at a deal today, get educated, spend a few hours, learn at least what you're looking at. And now when you see an offering memorandum, which is like a deal walkthrough, it's a deal investment. When you're walking through that, you could just know what you're looking for. And man, you'll be a much better passive investor just even doing that. So I love Great it. advice. I agree completely. Yeah. Just get, it, you know, it sounds like a lot when we kind of list off all these things. Oh, it's, you know, cap rate and interest rate. It's not that big of a deal. It's really yeah. not. It's, yeah. It sounds like it's this big thing. It's it's a lot more simple than you think. I like, I like the way Bill makes it easy to say. There's a story. Uh, shoot. I think it's from a Stephen Covey book. Maybe Dale. No, it's a Dale Carnegie book. Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yep. You just made me think about this. Make the person's fault seem very easy to correct is the principle. And not that this is a fault, but there's this story and that paradigm is the dance instructor, husband and wife, husband and wife are taking lessons from one dance instructor. The dance instructor is trying to teach husband and the husband said, I mean, the dance instructor is like, you, yeah, you must have two left feet. You're not ever going to be able to do this. And so the husband's like, yeah, you're right. Two left feet. I'm never going to be able to get this dance lesson. Wife decides, let's go to another dance instructor, dance instructor and, and husband again. Dance instructor is like, oh, you've got just such natural form. You're going to be able to get this so quickly. Let me show you just this one little tweak in your step and you'll be dancing in no time. Husband t- took that lesson and is an amazing dancer because he, she made the new instructor made the person's fault seem easy to correct. So if you're in your own mind, when you're thinking about what Bill said, it's like, man, it's simple. It's easy. Just it's it's a little tweak here and there. So yeah, do, don't let it overcomplicate. Just go ahead and learn it, right? Just do it. Just get started. Yeah. Well, brother, I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted so much. I got excited in this in this conversation. That was great. 
So a lot of the things you kind of mentioned, but let me, uh, let me pause here for those people that want to get in your world. They want to either get some education, get some coaching. They may want to invest in you and your company, want to go to the deal, look at some opportunities, whatever. Where's the best place for them to reach out? And who do you actually want to contact you? Yeah, any, anybody that wants more information can certainly reach out to us. We, we uh, My partners and I don't mind talking to anyone. The website is broadwellpropertygroup.com and Broadwell is B-R-O-A-D-W-E-L-L, Broadwell Property Group. Um, if you look in the upper right corner, we have a little section there that says for investors. Just click on that and uh, we have a little bit of a questionnaire. If you'll fill that out, we'll be in touch with you directly. And, and we can, we can you know, we have something for everybody. So I would say certainly reach out to us. You know, we, we take accredited and non-accredited investors. But uh, yeah, that's the best way if you're interested as an, a limited partner in, in getting in. Um, you know, if you want more education and more information, uh, several things. One, you can just uh, Google Billham Real Estate. I've got a lot of different uh, things that I've done out there. So if you'll just Google Billham Real Estate, besides selflessly trying to get my Google rank up a little bit, uh, there is some good information out there. Uh, and I have a book as well. The book is called Creative Cash. Um, and that's on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon and, and get my book, uh, Creative Cash. And that's sort of uh, a lot of the creative financing techniques that I think are going to be very relevant uh, going forward. I got so excited with you. I forgot to talk about your book, brother. Oh, so hey, no problem. Let's, you know, let's take the last few minutes here. Sure. When did you write a book? What is it about? What are we going to learn? Uh, you said yeah. go. We know where to go get it. So go. Right. I launched it. Uh, we went out in February, I believe, and we hit uh, Amazon bestseller within like the first two days of, of launch. Yeah, so oh, that's really amazing. Big opening. We've done very well at the sales. It, it's it's been exciting. The book uh, is is see what I what I teach a lot of is is market cycles, and it's a I won't go into it too much here, but it's a, a phrase that I've coined called the three pillars of real estate. And if you understand the three pillars of real estate, you can limit your risk tremendously. And the three pillars are debt, exit strategy, and market cycle, all right? Not necessarily in any particular order. You need to understand those three components of real estate, debt, exit strategy, market cycle. And you can, if you line those three things up, and by the way, I teach you how to do that in the book, but um, if you line those three things up, you can mitigate your risk tremendously. Well, one of the pillars is market cycle and understanding the, the rise and fall in the market, where we are and where we're going. And so uh, being through the, the last 08 recession and some of the COVID recession and some of these other recessions, I've learned a lot about market cycles. <clears throat> so I kind of brought this book out now because I'm predicting a, a certain type of down cycle going forward. Is it all saying that a, a bull market uh, is does not die of old age, it's murdered? <laughs> Right. So a good market doesn't just end on its own. It's killed somehow. Lenders, debt. That's yeah, always sense. the one that turns the market down. It's when the lenders yeah. start throttling. If that changes. Our whole model is gone in a whim. We're like, I can no longer borrow 75 or 80 percent of it. Right. OK. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, the, when the lenders start tightening up, so everybody thinks lending tightening up. Oh, the interest rates are going up. No, no, no. There's lots of other things you can watch. Qualification. You know, notice Fannie and Freddie have started dialing up their qualification requirements, not interest rate, like this who actually qualifies. Yeah, like, oh, see, that's them throttling back. Uh -huh. And then they'll start uh, dropping loan to value. Yeah, 80 used to be easy. Now you're kind of more like 70, 75. Uh-huh, here we go. You know, and then you start seeing uh, reserves. Oh, COVID reserves, if you want to go borrow from Fannie Freddie, you know, 12 to 18 months worth of reserve. Okay, see, watch. That's the, 
they're, they're pulling that lever down. And what's happened, I believe, is we've had too much transaction, too much sales volume. And the lenders are going to notice the sales volume, have noticed the sales volume and the, and the fervor in the market. And so they're going to start throttling that back by easing up the, the money and, and making money less available. The last thing to go will be interest rate. It hadn't happened yet. That's coming, especially if we start to have inflation from all the money that's been put into the world. They have the, the you know, Jerome Powell has no choice but to raise interest rates eventually and be forced into it. And he'll sit here and say, oh, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it until all of a sudden they do it. That's how lending adjusts and controls the market cycles. And so when lending tightens up, you're going to have a bit of a down cycle in steps creative financing. Yeah, people with distressed that. assets, people that have, have overpaid, people that have had properties that are COVID affected. Maybe some of their tenants aren't paying rent right now. Maybe they want to sell the property, but it's in, it has a lot of deferred maintenance. It's got old plumbing. That's a biggie these days. Uh, you know, infrastructure, roofs, electrical, the stuff's gotten older, and now they want to sell. And it's not easy for you to go get a loan. That's where creative financing is going to step in. It's that leverage point right between a distressed asset and a good loan that you're going to have a systemic breakdown. And that's that's where deals are going to flourish if you know how to create value for a seller yep. with your offer. That's what the entire book is really about, is how to create value for someone who owns something that you want to own. And take that value and exchange it for that real estate, for your lack of cash. That's mm-hmm. what that book's about. It's about getting results in real estate using creativity. I'm um, getting the dang book, brother. Do you talk a lot about multifamily and single family or like big multifamily I, like we're dealing also? also yes. Or? In that particular book, these techniques are not specific to any genre of real estate. Yes, my tone tends to be sort of multifamily. That's just because that's what Perfect. I do. I'm Check happy. Lease options and seller financing and, and all of the different techniques with, with any kind of genre of real estate. It's no difference whether it's houses, multifamily at all. The concepts are absolutely the same. Yeah. And it's like I said, creating value for a seller. Nothing to do with multifamily or single family or any family. That's that's just business in general, right? I've talked to a uh, hundred and fifty some odd interviews, and the majority of individuals that we work with don't leverage creative financing in our multifamily world. We just kind of think, oh, it's traded at brokers. We have to raise capital. We're going to do that. The seller wants to get paid out, but every once in a while, we'll find an exception. And they're usually very successful because they understand the principle of value and it helps them in their normal transactions anyways, because they're like, hey, this is what the seller's goal is. Let's you know put this thing together a d- different way or different offer, different terms or whatever the case is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a nugget out of the book, which I think is one of the strongest points in the book. It's something that uh, I call the spy technique and uh, copyrighted that, but it's, it's an acronym and it stands for seller property you. That is the mindset in the order in which you need to analyze a deal. What motivates the seller? What does the seller want? Let my offer solve that problem. Okay, then let's see what's going on with the property. Is it deferred? Is it occupancy? Is it deferred maintenance, occupancy? What? Okay, now the offer needs to solve the property's problems. And lastly, we see if this offer solves our problems. And there's the biggest, biggest mistake I see with people that attempt creative financing. They don't make use of the spy technique and they go the opposite direction. They say, what's in it for me? I want a lease option. I want seller financing. I want, who cares what you want? You don't own <laughs> real estate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what? Okay. Start with the seller. You know, and so then they look at the property and then it's like, as an afterthought, they think of the seller, right? Well, I always tell everybody that, look, 90% of a good deal is seller. 
10% is real estate. If you don't have a willing seller, you don't have a deal, right? So, so use this spy technique, start with the seller, figure out what motivates them, what they want, make sure that your offer creates value for the seller. Secondly, solves their problem, whatever problem they have with the real estate. Thirdly, gets you in a deal. That if you use a spy technique, you will you will increase your your close rate with with creative financing tenfold. What a great what a great uh, way to end the show, man! I thank you so much. Is there is there anything we didn't cover, Bill, man, that you wanted to cover today? <laughs> my email. I'd be happy to give anybody my email. It's Bill at uh, Go Broadwell. So all you have to do is just Bill at GoBroadwell.com. And uh, you, if you have any questions or, or likes or comments, well, you can keep the comments. So if you have any questions or if you want to talk to me about anything, feel free to send me an email. Uh, I'd be happy to, to answer any question or, or give you any guidance I can. All right, Bill, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really sincerely appreciate it. It's thank been you. awesome. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yes, sir. And again, my name is Abel Pacheco. I'm your host for the Five Talents Podcast. If you heard something today that brought you value, which I took about a page and a half of notes at least, I know you did too. Go to our podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. It's what helps our search engine optimization, all the links, all the stuff, and allows us to say, Bill, we've got a quality show. You should come on the show. So we want more great guests for you to learn from as well. So please support us there. And uh, we appreciate it. Go do the same for Bill. I would be blessed if you reached out to him and said, I heard you on the Five Talents podcast and I'm interested in learning more. So that way Bill can come back and say, we, we, we talked to somebody and we helped someone together with their time. So that would be awesome. Uh, Bill, be you're the man. Thank you very much, brother. Thanks Absolutely. For it's a pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents podcast with your host, myself, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from industry experts and commercial real estate investors who follow their dreams and achieve massive success. Before you leave, let me ask you a few questions. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you learn something valuable? Was your mind stretched to what's possible and what you can achieve? Do you want other experts just like the one you heard today? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then please Take a moment to subscribe to the Five Talents Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And most importantly, leave us a written review. Tell us what you liked. Tell us your favorite guests. Give us any feedback. I'm excited to learn and improve so you can get a more valuable show. So thank you again for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.